Welcome to our show. I'm Jeffrey Riddle, host of this issue of Industry Insiders, where along with our generous sponsor, KS Global Consulting, we bring you thought leaders from the world of luxury, real estate, and development. Today, our guest began his career as an architect, working with such luxury hotel brands as Timbers, Viceroy, and Montage. With each project, his expertise grew beyond architecture to include managing projects and providing all aspects of development and design. Part architect, part project manager, and using heaping doses of human psychology, our guest is the owner of McAllen Development, LLC, consulting on projects around the world. From Pacific Palisades, California, Industry Insiders happily welcomes Scott Boyle. We appreciate your uh, time, Scott, because I know that you're a busy guy and you're getting phone calls from just about everywhere. Uh, let's, let's get something out of the way first, is that name of your company. It's not Scott Boyle Development or Boyle Development. It's McAllen Development. Is that an homage to a family name or your favorite whiskey? No, it's funny. Uh, good question. Funny, funny answer. Years ago when I was uh, just kind of getting started in architecture, I had a, a next door neighbor that I used to hang out with from time to time. And he asked me to kind of give him some guidance on a remodel that he was planning for. And uh, so I helped him with some ideas, probably a little bit of sweat equity and the whole uh, effort. And uh, when it got done, a couple months later, he paid me with a, a case of McAllen scotch. Of course, he he owned a bar in town, so it was uh, <laughs> kind of an easy easy sell for him. But it was uh, the first time I actually kind of sat back and, and thought about working for myself and happened to have a glass of McAllen in my hand. So uh, it became a, an idea for the name. Those kind of decisions to go into business for yourself work a little bit better with some McAllen and ice, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Everything <laughs> goes down a little bit better. Yeah, it does. Except for the next morning when you wake up and say, oh, my God, what have I done? Exactly. Yeah. But then uh, we just sit down and, and start it all over again and get the creative yeah. juices flowing. <laughs> Everything seems to have worked out. We had a conversation a little while ago and you seem to have an unusual approach to projects, which is why I think you are in such demand and your projects turn out to be classics. Tell us about it. Designing for experience based on a narrative. Well, it's a, a good question, good uh, issue topic to, to start off with. A narrative process or, or a storytelling approach is uh, something that I think a lot of projects and a lot of uh, people in the creative uh, endeavors tend to lean on for how they move projects forward and how they get them started. You know, in general, I think storytelling as an art has been lost over the you know generations as we start to become more reliant on the internet and writing and texting and using shortcuts for everything. There is an art to being able to captivate people by telling a story. I mean, for for centuries, uh, you know, long time ago, that's how people communicated. That's how information was passed along. So it was a, a skill that people practiced on a regular basis. In the creative uh, world that I work in, where it's mostly architecture and we're dealing with buildings and bricks and sticks, coming up with a narrative process is always a very important aspect of getting a project moving along. For instance, uh, the project I worked on up in Park City was a wonderful project and it was located in the, the, the center of a, a existing community. And we came up with the concept of this is the heart of the canyons community. When we started talking about that as a concept and starting to create a, a story around it, that this is the, the heart of the town. This is the pump. This is what moves people around. And 
This is the lifeblood of this community. It's the essence. And people really started to gravitate to this story. So we kept moving with it. And as we were developing the building, right from the early you know, conceptual first few page lines on the page, we realized that you know, we have an opportunity to pull the building apart. Instead of having one big building, we pulled it apart into three smaller buildings and created a void in the center. And that void is a space where people pass through. And it, it translated the heart of the community, translated into this space that became circulation. It became an identity. It became the energy, the, the place of connection for all of the community. And by doing that, we've actually you know, set up all of the people on the sales team to have a really strong story to tell about why this is a great place to you know, buy into, why people want to be there, why they want to come and stay there. You know, the project has had great success. Uh, I think they're uh, pretty much 95% sold out and they're still six months away from uh, finishing construction. So, oh my goodness. you know, having that story. Yeah, having the story to tell is, is a great vehicle to kind of get some energy moving with the project and, and with all the people related to it. So when you tell a story like that, the heartbeat of a community is a, is a fabulous, I, I could picture this building already. How important do you think that story was to the community leaders who could approve or disapprove that construction? You know, honestly, they were uh, involved in the ideology of it in that, you know, they, they had kind of set forth that this is a very important piece of real estate. It sits in the center of our, our town, of our little community here in the canyons. And, um, you know, they had lots of ideas and their own vision of it. But after listening to them, we tried to give it a story and we tried to give it a, a background and a backdrop so that uh, they could understand where we were headed with it. We also wanted to show them that we embrace that idea and uh, no better way to embrace it than to say, hey, we are the heart of your community. And uh, everyone seems to have appreciated it, you know, working back and forth with the entitlement process. Does anybody here walking around town, somebody else who's not involved in this project, calling it the heart of the community? You know, the, the project's still not completed, but the intent here is, that when you're talking about a community or a sense of place or a, the, the spirit of a place, and you talk about identity and you tell someone, where is your, your, where's the center of your community? People quite often will identify, oh, it's in front of town hall. That's where we all gather when there's a, you know, the high school football team wins or whatever. Sure. But it's that place that everyone has an identity of their community. We've worked really hard and very conscious of our, our effort to create opportunities and places inside this courtyard or this plaza to be inviting the, the community in, places where people can sit and put their feet up, where they can get a beer, they can meet other people. We're talking about a, a huge uh, time clock, a, a center clock in the plaza with a huge fireplace and a hearth down at the bottom that's always up, up and running where people can sit down and put their feet up and warm up or they can sit and wait for their friends to come down off the mountain. But we intentionally created these opportunities so that people can feel comfortable there. Uh, it's not often that uh, someone who is not staying at a hotel can feel comfortable sitting in front of it. This is one of those things where, you know, we were very conscious of how we created that space. The sales team has basically told us that people love it. They, they've embraced this idea that, you know, we're going to be in the center of town. We get to watch all this 
kind of activity and uh, energy un unfolding on a daily basis. We watch the people coming and going. So it's a place to see and be seen from a lot of people's perspectives. That's kind of what they look for in the heart of a community. I, I love that idea. Very unique. Easy for advertising and marketing and sales to wrap their heads around it. And obviously, it, it sounds like it's sold out with only six months of construction left to go. So it was obviously a success. Everyone's pretty happy with it. Very excited. It's uh, been labeled as one of the top 20 uh, anticipated hotel openings in 2021. Wow. You'll have people looking that up right away. No, we're, we're happy for them. I'm very happy for the uh, the ownership team and for the uh, Pendry Hotel Operations team. Yep. They've all done um, a lot of work to, to bring it around. Yep, I'm familiar with the Pendry name and several of their hotels. They do a great job. Sometimes you're contacted by a transactional brand for consulting. How do they differ from an experiential brand? And are they easier with which to work? Well, that's, that's a great question. When the phone rings, you pick it up and, and you want to try and be able to provide a good service for whoever's on the other line and they tell you a little bit about the project and then you, you kind of sit there and you realize, you know, I can help them, but I don't know if I can add value to what they're looking for. Sometimes when someone's looking to create a hotel and it's kind of a limited service business, you know, hotel and it's kind of nuts and bolts about it, I tend to let them know that, yeah, I can help you, but there might be other people that could do a better job. I tend to do a little bit better and, and work on projects that are a little bit more about a place. It really needs to be a, a, a spirit and experience. You know, in a world where the internet can give us answers about a place, you know, you can learn about Hawaii or Tuscany, or you can kind of, you know, look up and, and say, hey, I know what it's like there. But to really know a place, you have to experience it. And that's where I think I, I have a, a good ability to understand how to best experience a place through kind of this narrative storytelling approach, as well as embracing the opportunities that a hotel or a kind of a luxury residence can have with a place. And the best experiences always leave us with these great memories and stories to tell our friends, our coworkers and families. And that's what people are looking for when they decide to get away on a vacation. For example, I worked on a project in Italy and you know, to be able to envision a, a great terrace with grapevines on the trellis above and olive trees in the foreground and this beautiful vista of the rolling hills of Tuscany is just a, a great opportunity. But then to figure out how to add in, where does the local bottle of wine come in, the cheese, the bread, the salami delivered to your table by a, a wonderful buonasera and a rivederci when they walk away. You got an amazing and memorable experience that people will live with for the rest of their life. And, you know, I kind of look at it that I'm not really creating that experience. I'm creating the stage set for those memories to be realized. And when, you know, you're coming back to an experiential brand, that's where I can really get in there, roll up my sleeves, get into the experience, get into what it really feels like to be there and put it on a, a opportunity or put out a place where people can really experience that. Well, my compliments to you, Scott, on your professionalism and integrity. A lot of consultants would have taken any phone call and said, yes, I can do it. Whereas you've decided that you're best served by somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's kind of unusual in this world, my compliments, sir. It's, it's our best uh, place to try and help people as, as best we can. And sometimes 
you know, we can step up and do it. And sometimes there's someone else that might be the, the better solution for them. When we think of branding, everybody has their own ideas. You gave me your definition that was quite resonating. Branding isn't what you want it to be, but what the consumer feels it to be. I hope I got that right. And if I did, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, launching a brand can be a very enlightening experience. You spend hours and weeks, you know, talking about it and what it is and how you want it to work and the business aspects of it and how it's going to generate revenue and the value of it for the owners and the, sh the shareholders and everyone involved. You aim for this bullseye and it's, you know, what you believe the core of your brand, but you know, at the end of the day, it's really up to the audience to tell you where the target is or what the target is. Looking back at the project that I worked on or the, the brand that we worked on launching the Pendry Hotels, it was originally intended to be a three and a half, four star brand that was going to be more of a feeder network for staff and younger guests to be exposed to a new hotel brand where design and service were on a, a level playing field with each other. Uh, you know, it was intended that there were no overly designed experiences. There's no design just for design's sake. And the service wasn't supposed to be this white glove service that made people feel uncomfortable. It was really supposed to be this kind of comfortable environment. Like, you know, when you go to visit your, your favorite aunt, you know, she's got the, the cookies waiting for you on the table and, she, and you know that your favorite soda is in the cupboard, but you know how to help yourself and you know where everything is, but it just feels comfortable. That was kind of how we likened the idea of what the Pendry brand was supposed to be. Uh, but after the first couple of properties opened, the, it was, you know, kind of surprising. But the feedback from the guests was that, hey, Pendry, this is new luxury. You know, this is great service. It's a great price. This is a great value. You know, we all kind of stood back and looked at each other and smiled and kind of said, hey, you know, this is a good surprise that the people, their perception was that it was better than what we had intended it to be. So I guess, you know, if, you, if you're not going to hit the bullseye, it's okay if it, it kind of works in the right direction. But uh, it was just a very eye-opening experience that, you know, we tried real hard and, and thought we were going to, you know, nail it and this was going to be a great fit in the marketplace. But uh, as people experienced the, the hotels, they kind of came back and said, hey, this is better than what you're telling me it's supposed to be. It, so it sounds like you hit the bullseye, but it was on the wrong target. Yeah, the, the wrong target, but the wrong target seemed to be able to generate some good income and really good value for all of the shareholders and investors. So they were all yeah. very happy with it. That's a, uh, that's a great story. You shared with me something that was kind of surprising. I find it difficult to believe that some people spend millions of dollars on a property and really have no idea the next step or in what direction they should go. Does this happen frequently? I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but it happens more than I thought it would. People that are very smart, very wealthy people, obviously, they, they, you know, they know what they're doing investing in these great pieces of real estate. They don't spend a lot of time in the hospitality world or in the, the residential development world. So they, they need some assistance and some guidance. Best case scenario is a, a client that comes to us with a great piece of land or an old building looking for, you know, this whole building's looking for a new lease on life and it's an empty canvas with, you know, no scars from some previous effort or previous design. And honestly, the, the first thing I do is I, I begin by telling them a story about how great this place can be and keep going until they have 
the ability to imagine all the wonderful memories and experiences that can be created on th this piece of property that they own. And usually by the end of a half an hour conversation, uh, I can get them moved forward and emotionally invested in, in going in this direction. And that's when we sit down and put some pen to paper and, and start drawing lines and, and coming back to them with some ideas. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that uh, has happened a couple of times and, and they've been some fantastic uh, projects to, to start moving forward for them. So there seems to be a theme running through this from the beginning and there's that story again. Uh, that seems yeah. to be a very, very powerful tool for you. Yeah, absolutely. At the core of what I do. And, uh, you know, it's not just me telling the story. It's really important that you get the people around you and get the owners to be able to tell the story because there's so many, there are always so many people involved in these projects that, uh, you know, it, it's an easy way for people to stay focused on the finish line and understand what it's about. You know, you could always say to someone, oh, I'm working on a hotel that's got 150 rooms and it's got, uh, you know, two restaurants and it's got, uh, you know, spa and a fitness center and you know, whatever. But when you come back to them and you tell them, I'm working on this hotel and it's at the heart of the canyons, people remember that. It's easier for people to connect with it. And that's what they take away. <laughs> it's funny, you could give them all the statistics, but they, they take away from it and they'll say, well, we're in the heart of the canyons. So at the end of the day, it does come down to the story. And uh, wow. if you got a better story, you, you tend to win more than you lose. All the facts you can tell them about the place doesn't sell it, doesn't get to the soul or the heart of the matter as much as the story does. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty apparent from a lot of the folks I've worked with. What are some of the challenges you face when working with owners and invest and investors? That's a great question. And, 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 and truthfully, I kind of separate the two. Are, are they different or, or are they mostly similar? There can be differences quite often. Yeah, I, I think there are some differences. And, you know, I think at the core of what we all try and do when you're providing a service to someone is really understand their goals and objectives. And, you know, you ask questions, you listen. You keep asking questions and you keep listening until you have a good grasp of it. You know, it's kind of interesting with some owners, you know, they're looking for their return. They're looking for the bottom line, the financial performance. You know, they have to sell it financially to other investors and so on and so forth. But from time to time, you'll find some owners that are looking for a legacy to leave behind to their family or to others. You know, there are also times when you, you listen to someone and you kind of come back and you say, so you're you're looking for something that's really unique, fresh, new, and different. And they say, yeah, yeah, I'm just tired of doing the same old, same old. And so it's, it's you know, great to be able to get to a spot where you're both seeing and saying the same thing. But it takes time. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a few meetings to get out everyone on the same page. And sometimes the, the, the vision for it evolves, where it starts with this idea of uh, a bottom line, you know, it's got to make money, it's got a pencil. But then after you talk about it and after you create a story that people fall in love with, they start to look at it and say, hey, this, maybe this is a legacy that is something that I'm going to you know, stake my whole career on. And, and this is going to be my swan song. And this is going to be the one that everyone remembers me for. So it happens a variety of different ways uh, when you're working through the process. We did mention transactional. And, and of course, you've mentioned experiential. Has there ever been a time when you were working with uh, an experiential owner or investor? And no matter what the story was, they just didn't get it. 
Yeah, there are times. There are also times, you know, recently worked with uh, some fairly young owners that were taken over from uh, older family members with their, their, their properties. You know, they, they felt like they had something to prove about that they knew what they were doing. And, uh, you know, you kind of step back and, and you follow them. You, you know, they're, it's their property, it's their sure. money, and they're kind of telling you where to go. And, and so you try and guide them as best you can. But uh, there are times when they just kind of want to prove their point and you kind of have to stand back and let, let the cards fall where they may. And at the end of the day, you try and clean it up and, and make it look as good as it can. But you also <laughs> realize that there was an opportunity that was missed here. Um, gotcha. And quite yeah. often, you know, I, I think at, at the end when you're doing a, a post-mortem and you're looking back on what we could have done better, it becomes fairly clear to some people that, oh yeah, maybe we should have listened to you about putting in that, uh, that walk-up uh, pickup window, you know, uh, before, hotel opened uh, just before COVID hit, you know, the, the idea of having a, a pickup window was something I thought was just a, a great idea that, you know, would make it easier for people in the neighborhood, but the owner's not really on board with it. And then, of course, after COVID and the idea of a pickup window being a, a, almost a, a income stream, uh, they kind of kicked themselves for not adding it in. But we all learn and we all move forward and we make better decisions each time we, we kind of come to the table. Understood. Well, let's step on some toes. As you and others accept the demands and responsibilities of, let's say, a JLL, how does that change the marketplace? You know, not everyone wants to work with a big real estate company like those big guys. And, you know, they're great at what they do. And they have so much in the way of experience. But they also have these layers and, and standard operating procedures and hierarchy of staff and varying levels of, of experience that you get handed with the project. And that's not the right fit for everyone. Some people, and, and more likely the people that I've been working with lately, like a more personal approach. And they like to know that they're talking to the person that's going to be directly involved. And, um, you know, if I can be the right fit for someone, then I can deliver great service and more than likely at a, a more economical rate and uh, give them a more unique expression as a final product. That's just kind of who I am and uh, what seems to be working lately. Doesn't mean that uh, the big guys don't have a place in the market. I'm sure they're gonna do quite well as uh, the market comes back and, and projects are starting to pick up again. But uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm finding a decent niche working with some great people and really kind of focusing on building a relationship and being able to understand what it is that they're, they're trying to deliver and trying to give it to them uh, with the highest level of quality and the greatest level of success that I can envision for them. You know, I kind of think of some of these big companies as like a battleship. For them to turn <laughs> around, and, and, and for instance, let's, let's just talk about the pickup window. Let's assume for a moment that you know, they decided no, and then they decided yes. I mean, for a big company, I mean, how difficult is that to make that change compared yeah, to you? Exactly. And that was a, a large ownership entity that had layers and layers of people, and they just couldn't get to the core of, you know, the, the idea or the, the creative solution. And they just kind of stayed on course saying, this is what we've done in the past. We've never done that. Why would we do that? Just keep going. So yeah, the, the bigger companies are a little bit harder and less maneuverable or harder to, to get around. Yeah, I'm obviously lighter and leaner, kind of 
handpick the people that I work with as best I can and usually have people uh, by my side that I've worked with in the past and know and trust and uh, also feel comfortable, you know, getting their feedback. If someone comes to me, you know, uh, on a small team and, and says, hey, you know, I think this is a great idea. I'm all eyes, all ears. I try and uh, absorb as much as I can and take in as much you know, diversity of perspective as possible and then come back with these great solutions. You know, that's uh, always a bit of a challenge when you're working with a larger group to try and get the consensus of ideas and, and creativity. It doesn't always seem to flow when you've got uh, layers of people that are kind of uh, sitting on top of each other. And this is kind of a, my own personal curiosity. I kind of get the impression, perhaps, that the bigger companies may be working with templates that they've worked with before. And working outside of a template makes it extremely difficult for them to uh, move forward on projects, especially the way that you do it. Would you agree with that or no? A large company's going to find a greater degree of success by kind of repeating their success stories over and over. So once they find a way to do something well, they're going to keep doing it and try and make it more efficient and more effective, not necessarily more creative and more unique. And that's where, you know, um, you, you do a great project and you say, okay, we've got the, the recipe. Uh, we've got the formula here. Let's just keep going with this formula. It's been successful. What I've found with the projects that I've worked on is I try to say no to standards and to repeating practices for the sake of efficiency. Um, yes, you have to be aware of, you know, time is money and you can't go in circles, but I think it's really important to not try and skip steps by going back to standards and really build a project from the ground up, evaluate it, study it, ask the same questions, because the same question you ask in Hawaii is going to get you a different answer than the question you ask when you're working on something in Italy. So you really kind of have to be true to a process and you have to trust that the process will unfold and give you the best results. Sometimes some of the larger companies try and skip those steps and they kind of try and get to the finish line faster. It, it, it works for some people, but I haven't really found that it gets uh, a great unique expression for most of the projects. I love that answer. That was terrific. That was terrific. <laughs> it's almost impossible to talk about hospitality without mentioning, you know what, today. <laughs> yeah. By this time, however, I assume every hotel has some sort of cleaning protocols already established. From a design perspective, what will be changing in older hotels versus design differences in new hotels? Yeah, this is the, the current topic that everyone has to address and deal with. So, you know, the, the, the last pandemic that happened 100 years ago affected the generations that followed. And just like the, the Great Recession of 2009 influenced this generation, the COVID pandemic is going to have a long-lasting impact on the next generation of travelers. And right now, everything you hear and everything that people are talking about is really health and hygiene. And cleanliness and just the the reality of the way people perceive things an older building is not going to be perceived as clean and fresh and as healthy as a new building you know there are ways you can clean it so on and so forth but it's just perception so a lot of people are looking to do 
remodels and facelifts on projects to make them look and feel fresh and new again. Um, we're seeing that on a lot of uh, hotel projects they are looking to come back around and, and do a repositioning or a refresh. And it hasn't been the, the best economic couple of years here. Uh, and a lot of people are reeling from it and don't have a lot of money to reinvest, but, but they recognize that the perception has to make it look clean and fresh. You know, there's going to be uh, an increased dependency on technology moving forward, which people need to install updated and upgraded technology. People are going to be working from everywhere and, and the guest room can become uh, a place where people are working all day for doing teleconferences. So the, the room has to be addressed and, and looked at a little bit differently there. Um, technology's got us moving in a direction where there's hands-free everything, you know, from employees to guests, hands-free hand washing, toilet flushing, lights, uh, trash receptacles, condiment uh, dis, uh, distributors or uh, things <laughs> are, are going to be all um, hands-free. And no-touch solutions are going to be with us for a long time moving forward. Uh, I anticipate a lot of innovation and there will be even more in the way of interesting technology solutions for it because people understand that touching everything is the smartest and best thing for us to be doing. You know, the, the technology's already moving into all of the ways that we order and pay for things for dining. I think that's something that's going to be with us for a long time. A lot of what's called frictionless ordering and payment um, is one of the, the, I think, great successes that we're learning from uh, this experience. And, the, you know, the consumer is doing a little bit more work to, to get the order in and has to pick it up. But, um, you know, all in all, I think that everyone is embracing this as the new normal. And uh, we really have to be aware of how important it is to have clean environments and, you know, uh, air scrubbers and all kinds of UV light cleaners and things like that, that everyone is going to be seeing much more. And we're all going to be kind of uh, experiencing it more as we move around. And I think a lot of it's going to last for, you know, probably more than 10 or 20 years until there's a, a generation that doesn't remember this or doesn't have uh, any of the effects of it uh, kind of hanging over their, their growing up or their school experiences. But uh, I'm sure a lot of kids that are in school right now are going to be uh, aware of what it's like to wear a mask and wash their hands, you know, 10 times in a day. It's just one of the things that's come around from this. There's an enormous amount of research that's going into uh, the, the new development of hotels and luxury residential components right now. And uh, we're going to see a lot of things shifting and changing. Uh, people used to love the, the big open plan homes. I think you're going to see some of that disappearing a little bit more where you can have a, an entry vestibule or foyer that's going to start to make you know, a transitional zone between arrival and where you spend your time and live. Things like that are going to creep into our, our design and you will see some changes in the way uh, things are built over the next few years. I live in Las Vegas. We got to have a thousand restaurants in this city and all of the hotels have some of the best in the world. But one of the things here was, was of course, buffet was a big deal. I think that's probably going to go by the way of the Model T uh, automobile. I, I'm not sure what they're going to do with those things anymore, but I'm not sure that they can afford what liability might come along with opening them up again. When you're designing hotels or at least consulting 
whether it be an old hotel or a new hotel. Do you, do you have anything to do at the restaurant area, first of all? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, restaurants are, are kind of the primary component and primary place that people experience when they're uh, at a hotel. And, and quite often, that's where they spend the most of their time at the property other than in the guest room. Um, so it's really important that they get a real good sense of what the service culture is like and, and what the, the look and feel, uh, the overall character and vibe is uh, of the, the restaurant and the food and beverage outlets. So yeah, we really get into the, the nuts and bolts about how they go together and you know stuff in the past where you had a coffee bar and a, a bar sharing the, the same area. Now you're going to see the coffee area probably windowed off um, so that, uh, you know, where there's more hands touching coffee and pastries and things like that, probably be separated a little bit more from a hygiene uh, perspective. So there, there will be probably some changes in zoning and code uh, that we're going to have to get used to once we, we get back to working again. But yeah, back to your point about the, the buffet. That, that's probably going to be one of the hardest things to be able to bring back. Although, as you're well aware, in Vegas, people love them. Um, you know, uh, a Sunday morning brunch uh, buffet is, is one of the, the, the great guilty pleasures that we all have, especially when you're working off a hangover. <laughs> what? Hangovers in Las Vegas? Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what that's uh, all about, really? Okay, last question for you, my friend. Uh, you've worked with several really great brands, developers and owners. Some may be inspiring to work with, eh, others not so much. What is it that gets your juices flowing to produce a truly unique expression? Great, great question. This is kind of what I aspire to, what gets me up in the morning, what keeps me going late at night, but it's, it's really the collaboration, the creativity, and the innovation that comes with working with super talented people. You know, when, when we're thinking about projects and thinking about the, the team of interior designers and architects, that really gets me going, knowing that, uh, you know, you've got some of the most talented people on the planet uh, lining up to sit at the table the next day and work with you. But what I've really found is it comes down to this really positive culture about problem solving, with a team environment and creating a, a great place that inspires your spirit and creates wonderful memories takes a team approach. It really, really does. You need you know, a great landscape architect. You need a great lighting designer, great acoustics consultants, interior designers and architects, of course, but nowadays you need low voltage uh, engineers and consultants to figure out all the Wi-Fi and how everything talks to each other. So getting all these people around the table and creating a vision and giving them a story to, to run with is really, really important. And kind of leading or directing or kind of steering teams, it really takes this team approach and this team mentality. And, you know, I mean, I played soccer for a number of years and this idea of knowing your place on the team minute by minute, hour by hour and day by day is really important because there are times that you kind of have to step in and you have to be the one to score the goal or, or get the big idea out there. There are other times where you're trying to ask the right questions to set someone else up to score the goal. Other days you're in the, the background and, and you're working to establish the, the strategy and, and direct it from the sidelines as a coach. 
or there are other days where you just need to be happy being a cheerleader on the bench. All the different aspects of how a team functions come together when you're putting together a wonderful hotel or a residence or a community. And, uh, you know, having the experience to know which hat to put on at the right time is probably one of the most important things that I've learned along the day, um, along the way. And, you know, it, it's what really makes the design process enriching and really fulfilling for all the people that are involved. And at the end of the day, when they're, you know, the photographers on site and taking these wonderful photographs of this amazing place, looking over the pool and the sunset, you kind of sit back and you recognize all those discussions and all those decisions that were made along the way and all those phone calls to the lighting consultant or the landscape architect were really worth it. Kind of really relying on a great collaboration and a great team experience is what it's all about. And at the end of the day, who doesn't really enjoy working together with a great team and accomplishing a goal with a, a collective group of people that have a great attitude and have a common goal. So, you know, for me, it's all about the team and all, all about uh, reaching the, the goal together. Well, you have a unique vision and attitude. Yeah. I, I don't know how you could not be successful thinking that way. It almost makes me want to be on your team. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when can we sign you up? Good, <laughs> good. You don't have oh, any yeah, of that no. McAllen left, do you? I, I always have a bottle around just in case I have a, a really good day. You, you got <laughs> really one day. ready to crack open it. It's kind of funny about that stuff. It's it's there for a really good day, and it's just as important on a really bad day. <laughs> yeah, that that's where I go to the bottle that's already open. <laughs> I think you can tell by now that we were having a good time. Unfortunately, we ran out of time. So we want to take this moment to thank Scott for being our guest on Industry Insiders. We not only appreciate the time that you gave us, but also the experience and the ideas you so generously shared. 